Hello and welcome to the AV Forum's podcast for Wednesday the 9th of March and joining me on this edition are Assistant Editor Steve Withers. The future, you mean like flying cars, hotels on the moon? News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. If it was never new and it never gets old, then it's a folk song. And Audio Reviewer Ed Sally. Everything you touch turns to shit. You're like King Midas's idiot brother. So finally uh, we get to talk more Star Wars on the podcast. Uh, Force Awakens Blu-ray has been announced. Really excited for this. Going to buy every single version and believe me there will be at least six different collector's editions. There'll be a 3D edition. Not sure about UHD because Disney are probably not going to do UHD, Steve. They're probably going to do HDR on Blu-rays. That's the rumour we've heard, which is um, interesting. Mm. <laughs> I guess like... that reflects the fact that a lot of... I mean, I, maybe they're just thinking, well, most of the films are finished in 2K for the cinema. Why don't we just use that and do HDR and wider colour space and 10-bit? It'll still look great, which yeah, is yeah, a valid yeah. point. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> really? Sounds like a penny pension to me. And, and when yeah. you've just made so much money at the cinema this year... Uh, to be penny pinching, uh, come on, Disney, get your act together. It seems uh, strange because Disney have always been really big on on preservation and restoration and doing the best quality and really high quality home video releases. It's a strange move from them. I'm really disappointed, for example, that Star Wars: The Force Awakens doesn't have an you know an immersive audio soundtrack. For example, they haven't done any of those yet, and it's annoying in a number of respects, but primarily because Disney own Marvel and Lucasfilm, so two of the biggest franchises going. Uh, and we're not getting the the full whack in terms of audio, and it looks like we won't be getting that in terms of video either. I think you need yeah. to go. You need to go and do a naked protest outside the London offices. Yeah, um, and also no mention of a three D release either, which is yeah, three D is dead, Steve. Just yeah. you know, get over accept it. it. Get over it. <laughs> I wouldn't buy the three D because it's a conversion. I don't want it, but um, yeah. Obviously, other people do. I just get the uh, all nine. Of- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to buy the US release because it comes out two weeks earlier. <laughs> Uh, Mark, you are obviously a test of the general population. You're going to buy this? Yes. <laughs> I will buy it. It's probably one of the few Blu-rays I'll buy this year, but I'll definitely buy it. You mean you'll become your de facto test disc for the rest of the year then? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I'm, I'm just annoyed that I wasted £15 on Spectre. What a load of... Yeah, I wasted £15 on that as well. I haven't. Hooray, I'm £15 yeah. up. Although I did just order a copy of Bostrom by The Shaman on vinyl last night. So I don't know <laughs> what you were doing. You're drunk bidding again, Ed. No, do you know what? Actually, last night I was stone cold sober, but it still seemed like a good idea. I couldn't believe it was 23 years old. Is, it, is that your one in five where you're sober, is it? Um, it's been slightly better than one in five, thanks. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh... One and a half. <laughs> no. Anyway, let's move on. Let's do the podcast and let's look at current competitions. There are none at the time of recording this and by the time the podcast goes out hopefully there will be some more competitions it just so happens that uh, when the competitions run out this podcast goes up but we do have a winner Steve yeah from um, the previous competition Blazing Saddles on Blu-ray was won by DJ Buko so congratulations to him or her is he a real DJ? is he? Uh, I don't know maybe his name's David James or something like that alright let's move on Um, Bristol Sound and Vision Show Ed, it seems like it was months ago now. It does seem a while ago, <laughs> yes, if I'm honest. I just made, I, actually, I was I was standing uh, in the foyer of the Marriott a week ago today. I just arrived. So Fond, um, me- fond memories, eh? Was it snowing then? Uh, no, 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 actually, it wasn't wasn't a bad trip down, by all accounts. Although, um, uh, again, not necessarily on subject. I had the strangest, one of the strangest driving experiences I've ever had. Um, was uh, driving uh, along a, one of the narrower roads, went to get uh, get to a, a, 
sort of more of a trunk road to then head down to Bristol. And um, there was a Vauxhall Astra, which had broken down by the side of the road. And there was a bloke standing by the Vauxhall Astra, and he was wearing trainers, socks, Y-fronts, and a T-shirt. That was it. <laughs> Hang on, was that was it um, the guy from Breaking Bad? It wasn't, although that was a thought that crossed my mind. Now, it wasn't the busiest road going, so I stopped. I stressed I didn't get out of the car. <laughs> are you all right he goes yeah it's fine i've, I've called for the rac and it's like i don't want to bring this up but you don't appear to be wearing any trousers and he goes yeah well normally i turn up to work and i put overalls on for the rest of the day and it's like well <laughs> regret that decision later <laughs> i do i do bet he um he uh packed a pair of emergency trousers henceforth but it was like there's not a lot i can do it's like i don't have any clothes to give you and you seem all right, and you don't necessarily have to be standing outside the car. But well, yeah, it was just one trousers, of those... I assume you'd need them for later in the day. <laughs> well, I had packed a spare pair of trousers because I was overnighting at Bristol. But it's like here, one he was quite a radically he was radically thinner than I am, so he would have had to presumably had to wear comedy redneck braces, which I don't think he had anyway. Um, so yeah, there's nothing I could do with that. But yeah, that that set set the the the, the scene for Bristol really, <laughs> um, as. I sort of noted in the report, uh, lots of sound, not a lot of vision. Now, from my perspective, as Steve wasn't there, so I actually had to sort of pay attention to vision. I'm quite glad that there wasn't very much of it, but that's a purely selfish sense. I think this show felt like an intermediary point. It, it There just is, in the absence of clearly available 4K Blu-ray players in the UK and so on and so forth, no one had sort of taken the step and i think we will see more next year um and also i have to say last year we had a, a, a quite a big slice of new stuff being released especially affordable new items so as that doesn't happen every single year again this was a bit quieter but there were some interesting bits and bobs that broke cover um i think one of the most interesting ones for me was the new mission lx series of loudspeakers because I, I mean i don't know about you guys but when i was younger oh so much younger than today um mission was was a big deal in affordable my first pair of high 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 speakers mission i think at some stage or another if you've been doing this for a while you've owned a pair of missions mm-hmm. I you, you know have. what i've never owned a pair of missions well you can keep stum um <laughs> but the last couple of years since the iag takeover it hasn't been a vintage period for mission let's let's be political about this so the LX series was a bit of a pleasant surprise, really, because they looked like mission speakers, they sounded like mission speakers, they were priced like mission speakers, and there was just a free song that they were getting back to doing what they, they're good at doing. Um, they're due out um, a little bit later on this year. Late spring was the, was the, 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 uh, the, the phrase being banded around. So November. <laughs> well, that, no, no, we're not talking about um, a number of other companies here. Speaker companies generally because of the nature of their product, do you tend to get it out when they say they will? It's when you're making a, an OLED television, for example, that you have a quick two-year. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's normally about four years. But no, they, they, they should be out in spring. And yeah, very, very promising-sounding little speaker. So um, again, as I noted in the, um, in the show report, uh, Carl Heinz Fink, uh, who is tremendously Still influential. Still in Die Hard 3? Uh, I'm afraid not. Uh, you'd have noticed him in Die Hard 3 because he is actually enormous. But he is very influential in loudspeaker design. He's been involved at some aspects of the design of this. And uh, given that his track record includes almost all of the uh, conventional box Q Acoustics loudspeakers, this could be 
the range of loudspeakers that actually gives Q Acoustics a bit of a, a bit of a run for its money. So yeah, that was all good. Um, I'm just bringing up my show report frantically. Uh, the other things, I suppose, I, I mean, Arkham's home cinema, it deserves a mention for, for really going for it. Uh, a massive Atmos demonstration, each channel being powered by its own individual power amplifier. It, it resulted in it being about 70 grand. So it wasn't necessarily something that you decided to, to purchase on impulse. But nonetheless, it was it was a seriously impressive undertaking. A full 7.1.4 setup. Uh, as far as I know, each each one had, a, had its own P49, uh, which was, you know, Impressive, but it, um, you know the the thing with this product, and obviously Steve's got it in for review at the minute. Is and and we were discussing this yesterday. It seems a bit of a bodged product, really. I mean, we were discussing it as an AV receiver. I don't think it works, does it, Steve? Because it's it hasn't got all the channels built in there, and obviously the the running class G amplification, you kind of get everything in a yeah, box. I mean, it's not their fault; they couldn't physically fit more than seven but, channels inside it. But why but didn't they just yeah? Somewhere. So why didn't they just go with a processor and then do two five channel power amps? Yeah, that, I think that would have been a really good idea. I mean, because the in terms of the processing, Ed, you can attest this because you've also had a play with Arca, mm. with um Dirac now. Yeah. Um. You know, the processing is awesome. Um. I, so you're thinking, why not go that route? Because with only seven channels, you basically have to buy additional amplification to get the full benefit. I mean, you could do f- f- uh, 5.1.2, but if you want to do anything more than that, you're going to have to buy additional amplification. Um, and and you know, when you're comparing it to other uh, competition, and you've got you know nine channels in most of the competition's flagship receivers, and in the case of the uh, Anthem MRX1120, that's got 11 channels built into it, so you can do the full 7.1.4 right out of the box. I think it's going to, they're going to find themselves at a slight disadvantage because it's, it's not cheap to start with. So then you're going to have to buy more additional amplification. But I'm not so sure. You see, I still we don't have any numbers on the actual number of these going into Atmos installations. And in a quite a savvy way, you're not pay, in this instance, you aren't paying for stuff you aren't going to use. Yes, it does mean that the buy-in for Atmos is going to be more expensive. But... I don't know. I just still don't know how many of these these systems are being used in this in this manner. Um, so I you mean, think it, it's more of an AVR for seven point one with Dirac Live. Yes, and I think that a number of people will then go. Do you know what? Let's give Atmos a go, mm-hmm. and then we'll. It, it chances are they won't use. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't think they'll use Arcam's power amplification when you're dealing with. Smaller speakers. I mean, you know, I know some people have put some giant speakers up on their um, up for, for presence, but most people won't. Um, there are any number of slimline sort of custom install four channel amps that will get the job done without instant instant, and it won't be that much of an more more expensive to to do it that way round. And I yeah, think true. I mean, they actually brought around one of their two channel power amps. Actually, they originally brought around two two channel power amps for running the overhead speakers, and I've got control ones the same as Phil. And you know it was real overkill. I mean, they, these 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 power amps were as big as the receiver. Mm. So I said, "Well, leave one, and I've already got my own power amp I can use as well." Just because you know I couldn't I couldn't physically fit it into my rack, which was really annoying. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're right, you're right, Ed. I mean, that is that is an option. And if that maybe they are targeting the more traditional five point one seven point one crowd and giving the option to move to Atmos and DTSX at a later date, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, to put it, I guess, to, 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 to segue onto another product that was on display, only static display, unfortunately. Um, PMC have launched two new center speakers for the FACT range. 
um, including the big one, has got the uh, bespoke mid-range soft dome tweeter that PMC have made a bit of a thing of. And given the choice between, if I had you know an AVR 850, given the choice between having that pinning the centre together with again with with something like Fact 12 or or something equally burly, the um, the 2026 has also got the same driver. Having that across the front, I'd rather have that going than spend less money across that front three and have some speakers in the ceiling. Uh, having now heard of what was a very, very good Atmos demonstration with Arcam, that kind of cemented my thoughts on that. So I, I, I think it's 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 hedging their bets. You're absolutely... I, I do see where Phil's coming from. It's an, there's an element of... Um, it does. It does feel like a bit. It, it feels like a bit of a bodge job if you're thinking immediately from the outset of an Atmos installation. But my counter to that is, I just don't know how many people are thinking immediately from the outset of an Atmos. I think the big selling point, to be honest, is the is the Direct Live, which is um, yes, quite, quite remarkable in terms of what it can do to to to, to EQ for your room, basically. Um, I mean, we can talk about that more in more detail. At a later date, but uh, I think that is your review done now. No, not yet. <laughs> don't right. be, don't be silly. He's still doing stuff that got delivered before Christmas. Well, okay, whatever. Essentially, in, in that case, my, mine is uh, unusually. I actually finished February reviews in February. Just, <laughs> um, so yes, yeah. word. <laughs> it, it was good. To, it was good for you that it was a leap year this year. It was. I was very, very grateful for that extra day. I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, uh, it, well, that's good. It means that if nothing else, we can have our reviews go up in a sort of organized fashion um yeah i've i've been impressed with dirac um it, it has done things in the context of stereo which i didn't necessarily anticipate so yeah that was that was quite something um Ed, at the uh arcam demo they were using i believe they were using the epson laser projector did you have any views on that since um, you probably would have seen it before uh well it looked pretty good by all accounts um i have to say i <laughs> I only caught the tail end of a demonstration because I needed to get in, take what transpired to be a blurry and confused photograph and leave. And as you might imagine, taking flash photography during a projector demonstration doesn't render you the most popular guy in the room. So um, I didn't see that much of it, but it did. I mean, you know, I didn't immediately think, oh, blimey, that's clearly got a laser involved in it. But it was nice and bright. Um, it, It looked it had that if you like, there was a sense of the slight sort of cinematic sort of graininess to it, which I, which I, you know, I associate with, you know, how, how things look right to me, even if that possibly isn't technically correct. I, I was quite, quite taken with it. And I stuck my head around the door of Epson's own room on the Saturday morning, and they were showing some, some sort of clip work of the Mercedes Formula One car, and it looked bloody marvellous, especially considering that they were the first to admit they had a bit of light leakage from both the door and the um, the the hastily improved curtain around the window. So yeah, it looked it looked pretty impressive by all accounts. Also tucked away on the tenth floor, and because one of the lifts was out of action, I had to walk to the tenth floor. So that wasn't 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 great. But you know, no, there was a tenth floor. There is a tenth floor. Monitor Audio had brought along their new flagship, which is uh, the biggest member of the Platinum series, the PL five hundred two. And it's a big lad. Uh, it's about six feet tall. And it, it, in the room, it was a bit too large for the room. And uh, it was running on the end of a cord electronics DAC and power amplifier, which I have to say wouldn't necessarily have been my first choice of partnering equipment. And the music choices were a bit safe. 
despite all of these things, it's a very special loudspeaker. I was, uh, I mean, I, I, I was sitting there listening to it and I thought, well, it's a bold move to try and, you know, get into the sort of 20, 25K price point. Um, but, you know, this is a good product. And then at the end, they said it's 15. Now, I don't want to be, you know, ridiculous here. £15,000 is still an enormous sum of money. But it's a hell of a loudspeaker for that price. And it augurs well for the rest of the range, which includes multi-channel options. So, yeah, um, that that was quite something. And um, I will try and find a, a, a sane way of, of having a look at some of the more man portable platinum speakers in due course <laughs> but yeah that was that came as a bit of a surprise um it they, they've clearly spent a lot of time it's obviously the second iteration of the platinum series they've spent a lot of time going okay what's worked what could we do better at and they've gone through it piece by piece process by process and it's a, that's a genuinely good loudspeaker really really impressive thing um well, so, it, yeah, should, well it should be at 15 grand shouldn't it really yes but as i say you know i've you know, spent spent a bit of time listening to these things. I say I'm automatically had assumed it it was its price was north of twenty. So make of that what you will. Yeah. I mean, it obviously, says more that, about you than anything else. It though. probably I, does. I was about to say it, that. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, okay, so so pushing things along slightly in terms of uh, footfall. Uh, was, Fridays it's like? always very hard to get a judge on because let's face it, if you've got a job. You shouldn't be there on Friday. <laughs> um, I felt, just as a gut feeling, it was slightly down on last year. Not significantly, but it did feel a little bit quieter. Again, it's just we're at the we're at a point in the development cycles of multi-channel and and 4K, and in terms of the release schedules for two uh, two-channel stuff, that it this is all it's just felt. You know, this is a show where some limited stuff made made the made an appearance, whereas as opposed to next year, where it could be quite quite a busy, uh, you know, a really significant one for both two channel and multi channel. The other flip of the coin, Ed, is that this is obviously run by a retail chain or mm. a retailer, and you don't tend to find brands which they do not stock um, correct at the Bristol show. So it tends to limit what is available to be seen. Um, because it has to be brands that this retailer supplies, basically. To be fair to both to, to both the retailer and um, the, the the way the show is organised, it doesn't. Th- there are certain brands which will not turn up. The one I'm thinking of is my you know my former employer, Cambridge Audio. That's just not going to fly because there are no circumstances under which that's going to make sense for either operation however there were brands there i'm thinking of uh, audio note the valve manufacturer there's a new distributor called air audio they they were exhibiting and i think if you had suddenly got it into your head that you desperately wanted one of their products it might have been possible to to go, to sort of convolutedly organize it through the retailer in question but um, it was more an understanding that the dealers that, and, uh, that they go through, it's not, a, it's, you know, it's an interest to the, the clientele visiting the show that they're there, even if the retailer doesn't immediately make something out of it. But, so uh, Jed, they are more flexible about this than I think they perhaps were five or ten years ago. Yeah, but the thing is, you're not going to find a, a Samsung and an LG and so on there. No, because no. Th- although yeah. um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's nothing to stop 
that you know i'm assuming that lg wouldn't limit the sale of such an item through but no i mean yes the prep one of the reasons the show has survived in part is that you could turn up on the day and there would be a big stack of boxes in one or two rooms which are a show special and you could off, uh, on occasions get yourself some blinding deals and i think people a number of people still turn up with that in mind and that in turn does limit its its feasibility for showing off certain yeah, new products yeah. but the I'd... counter to that is that in terms of other uk opportunities to show off new products there aren't that many I well mean, you've got th- yeah show there aren't any that's about the, it yeah there's a gadget show and like you say i mean that's that that's not really a tech show in in, in terms of the audience that you would get at bristol and and, and shows like that which is it's a shame i mean it's good for bristol it's heading into its 30th year next year yeah but it is limited in terms of what you're going to see, and if you're an AV fan, that that's generally why it is limited. It's because that you know the the dealer that runs it is more two channel and more um, hi-fi based than they are visual visually, and and you know that shows in the brands that's there. But what you were saying about you know going there and getting a show bargain and buying stuff, I mean, I remember the day where not that long ago Pioneer would do a year's worth of plasma business in a weekend, mm-hmm. um, and be. <laughs> Be the ones walking away from the show with having sent, having you know sold tens of thousands of pounds worth of uh, ninth generation Kuro screens, you know, and the next year there was none. Yeah, it's, <laughs> which um, is a bit of a downer. But yeah, they did a whole year's business in in like a weekend, which you know for some manufacturers that's that's a a big draw to a show like that. I mean, this is as much a reflection of the fact, unfortunately, that AV has in some ways injured itself in terms of its viability to be a sort of high-end dealer option that's just unfortunate but um it you know that that, that is the people have gone back to two channel because you know better residuals longer product lives so on and so forth all these things matter in terms of stocking it in a in a sort of normal retail environment yeah i mean the the retail landscapes changed so much as well with online and 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 so on i mean i i like I've said a few times on the podcast, I used to have at least five dealers round about where I am now, all independent, all specialist, and they've all gone now um, because you know everybody's swapping to online shopping and and so on. So it really is only the really specialist, and I'm trying to think. There's only one real specialist left where I am up up this end of the country. I don't know about you other guys, but um, and they've been around a long time because they've stuck to their core. They haven't gone chasing sales and haven't gone chasing fads and that kind of thing, and they've stayed. No, if you were an independent and you decided to go big into AV, you, you it, it probably wasn't going to work out terribly well for yeah. you. And unless you're doing the custom side where you're mm. doing the installations and so on. No, uh, let's face it, the yeah. radius that those stores require, easy 150-mile job. Yeah, so yeah. you just aren't going to be that many of them. Yeah, but I mean, around me, actually, I've got a surprising number of dealers, but they are, yeah, their their main focus is two channel, and they actually scrupulously and carefully assemble product portfolios that rent makes them a unique proposition for a long way in any direction. AV doesn't fit happily into this sort of speciality work. Yeah, and you just have to look at the big manufacturers bringing back brands. I'm thinking the likes of oh, have you heard that rain and hail outside? Unbelievable. Blimey. Mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, you just have to look at the uh, at, at even the big manufacturers, I'm, and I'm thinking like Panasonic bringing back Technics. Yeah. You know, they, they obviously see that there's still a market there. There's still uh, a way to make margin, basically, on the, on your products. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see how that goes. Um, so that's the 29th Bristol Sound and Vision show over and done with. 
um, 30th next year. So it'll be interesting to see if they do anything on a large scale to celebrate their 30th birthday. It'll be interesting to see what happens next year. Just very quickly, whilst I remember, because it will also segue onto where you guys were uh, last week, um, the Technics 1210 was there. It isn't in the show report. Someone did actually message me about it late, late, late last night. Don't get me wrong. It is beautifully built. It is a step up in terms of the final finish and things like that over the older versions. But no, I don't feel the desperate urge to buy one. And I am more convinced now, having heard it, that it's a slightly cynical cynical exercise in cashing in on a smaller number of people. This is not... It doesn't move the game on a great deal from a well-looked-after used one. Sorry, yeah, but there th- it is. Thing is, Ed, uh, I think these are limited to 3,000 worldwide. Oh, yeah. They so don't, so just as, just do as that a, in a heartbeat. Just not as a, a collector's item, it's going to fly, you know? Yeah, but as a viable choice at that price point, with that arm... Sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm still looking for a Mark II. Um, been trolling through eBay and so it's getting a good condition one. That's the thing because people tend to Most use of them. Most them have been well used. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's the thing. So trying to get one without any scratches and with the plastic lid without any marks and stuff is so quite difficult. Yeah. Right, let's move on. So um, Panasonic European Convention. It happens every year. Back to February again. Back to Frankfurt. Second year in a row that we've been to Frankfurt. Well, we we'd seen a sneak peek ahead of uh, ahead of the show of what was coming. Uh, so we had a, a fair idea of, of what to expect, but there were still some surprises there. I guess the biggest surprise was the DX802. If you think of previous uh, 800 series TVs from Panasonic, the, the more or less look like a, a, a stripped down, a slightly stripped down version of the flagship TV. This time around, they've really gone for it in terms of design, in terms of, uh, you know, just the looks as well as picture. So you still got THX on there, you still got HDR, you still got uh, a really decent VA panel. It's still going to kick out round about, I think it was 800 nits on this one. It's 1,000 nits for the 900 and then yeah. it drops down after that. So decent brightness there for, for HDR material. Um, but the stand design, and, and this is where when you move into design, you hit the, the personal preference side of things and you hit the people who have taste and people who don't have taste. <laughs> maybe that's... Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's we're middle-aged fuddy-duddy, aren't we? What do we do? It'll look nice in John Lewis. People yeah. Well, I mean, what it reminded me of was a Samsung TV from about three or four years yeah. ago. The big 75-inch exactly um, easel design. And But the more I looked at it and the more I spent time with it and the more I photographed it, it is a really nice-looking TV. And what sells it for me is that they've taken the speakers out of the TV and put them into a sound bar and it's a well-designed soundbar, and we have heard it. We didn't hear it at the convention. We have heard it um, previously, and it puts out a stonking, a stonking sound for a, for a little thin TV. So, in terms of the design and the soundbar design that goes with it, I know there's been comments on the forums of people saying, "Oh, it looks ugly," and all that. But actually, see it in person and spend a little bit of time with it. I think it's a really nice-looking TV. Yeah, I, I, it is attractive. It's not my cup of tea, but um, I don't think it's aimed at me. I think if you've got like a really trendy, cool apartment or, yeah. or home, and, uh, and that would look really nice in it. Uh, and I, that's obviously what's aim, aimed at. I mean, it was designed in conjunction with an Italian designer. Was it Casina? Yeah. Who I must, I'm not yeah. familiar with, but uh, then again, I'm not big into interior but, design. But, you know, it, all you have to look at is the likes of B&O and, and companies like that, uh, Lerva, um, who make the designer TVs. That's the market that Panasonic are going for. And I think the, you know, the designer they've got in, I think it's a beautiful looking TV when you're going to put it in an environment like that. 
yeah. where it's white walls and where it's a you know a, a design space is going to look the part and the thing is it's going to have the performance and the sound to go with it that's true was there any word on price on that one because i can't i can't see one of yes the uh is there? there is hang on a second oh, maybe i'm looking in the wrong place i did read it the 50 inch uh dx802 is 1599 pounds okay and the 58 inch is 1799 it's not too bad. This this was the other thing that that we noted. Obviously, as Craig was taking us down uh, down the product line and, and showing us all the models and stuff. If you disregard the DX nine hundred, the TV from the top to to the bottom, there's nothing over two grand. Which, in terms of pricing, is really competitive. When you think that there's what is a two sixty five inch model. There's a sixty. There's only uh, one actually sixty five inch DX seven fifty. Right. Which will, would cost you one thousand nine hundred ninety nine pounds, which is you know very very reasonable yep. for a. For a, a higher range, 65 inch um, modern yeah. TV. So, so in terms of pricing, they really are being quite aggressive, and I think they've, they've, they've obviously taken on the feedback that they got last year, not just from us, but obviously from consumers as well, because there was a barrier to buying, and that was the the width of the stands. Um, so they've they've redesigned those, so you can either have them wide or you can also fit them in the middle of the set. And you can have them backwards and uh, or back to front or the right way around, and you can have them any which way. It, so they've, they've really given you about four yeah. different ways to have the stands. Well, certainly on the 700 series, the 600, I think there's just the middle or the outside, but yeah. certainly with the 700 series, you know, there's four different things that you could do with the stands, and there's two different designs as well, wasn't it? There's the straight design and the curved design as well. Yeah. So, you know they've really thought about that, and um, and kudos to them for for taking that feedback on and 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 changing the models to suit that. The other thing was that the the six eighty, which was a stonking TV last year, the CX six eighty, the DX seven hundred series now replaces that in the market. It adds more to it, but it's going to stay at the same price point, and that price point was very competitive last yeah, 58 year. Fifty eight inch DX seven hundred one thousand one hundred ninety nine pounds. Yes. That'll sell well. That'll sell That's really going to sell, well. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, so. and the thing is, the technology is on board. It's starting to mature now. So we're like Generation 3 in terms of UHD, um, Generation 1 at that price point for HDR. But you've got to remember that Panasonic are on to Generation 2 higher up the line. So that's going to feed down. So you're getting good technology on board for that price. You're getting HDR. I think it's 500 nits on the 700. Yes, that's right. And then the 600 is 350, 350 nits. nits. So you're still getting good brightness out of these sets for HDR viewing and so on. And, um, you know, they are UHD. They're going to have smart on there. So you're going to have Amazon and you're going to have Netflix as well. So when you start putting all that together and then looking at the price point and the, and the real estate that you're getting in terms of screen, stonking value. It is. It is. Absolutely. I mean, I think they've learned their lessons uh, from the past. I think when they first abandoned plasma and moved into lcd um maybe they were guilty of slightly over the top pricing that's certainly they were trading up the name weren't they were trading yes they were doing that to be honest um and they've clearly learned that lesson so that they're now going for a much more competitive price point which is good to see and like you said phil they definitely lost sales because of some of their stand designs last year and the year before um so they've, they've addressed that with these multiple configurations of stands that you can use to suit your particular you know environment and that's good news uh they're offering a lot of features all the way up the line, which again is good. It's almost entirely an ultra HD lineup with only two full HD models. Um, they're obviously pushing bigger screen sizes. They did mention that um, I think last year they said that the biggest selling screen size was 42 inch, but it was just ahead of 50 inch, and they expect that to be the biggest selling size this year. So 50 inch and above is going to be a big selling point for them and for other manufacturers as well. And you know, I, I think they've come out with a very solid 
very strong lineup of uh, competitively priced televisions, and it's impressive. Yeah, the one yeah. thing I will mention that has been picked up on and people have moaned about, yes, it's true that aside from the DX902, they're using 8-bit panels. They they are trying to hit a specific price point, and if you you know they would have added to the cost, um, and it's debatable how much of a difference you're going to see anyway. Yeah, it's a hugely debatable. I wouldn't uh, use that as a stick-on point, and um, I, I guess you know some of the confusion might come from our is this TV future-proofed uh, box that we have, Steve? Because we always is it ten yes. bit, yes or no? <laughs> um, you know, don't don't take that as a, a hard and fast uh, literal rule. Uh, if it's an eight-bit panel. Is it, I think you would struggle because it's more down to picture processing and uh, in what domain that the picture processing is working on these TVs um, at the price point. Plus, uh, and if you go for uh, the 700 series, uh, they are 100 hertz panels as well. The the rest of the line are 50. And they're all VAs as well, apart from one 49-inch 49-inch uh, DX650 is, I think, the only... Oh, it's um, the only IPS. And they're giving people a yeah. choice of having an IPS panel there. Um, it doesn't have intelligent dimming on it, so what you're going to get is a reduced contrast performance, but a wider viewing angle with the IPS panel at that mm. size. Um, and the other thing was last year, I think they experimented with um, the low end. See, I think it was CX300 and 400. They were Vestal products. They are not doing that again this year. Um, that did not work for, out for them. Um, so the bottom end Everything from the bottom end to the top end, it's all Panasonic. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, it's the DX 649 inch that will be IPS. Other, everything else is VA. There's also going to be a DX 650 that will be a retailer exclusive um, in two screen sizing. And they're sticking with 3D throughout the range? Uh, no, 3D from 750, the 802 and the 902. So they're still offering 3D in the, the higher end of their ranges. And what they said was, you know, it's active shutter, so there's no additional real cost, including 3D. We're not going to include the glasses you buy those separately, but it's there as an option, and they're still going to support it. So that's good news for 3D fans, yeah. for those of you that are left. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a really strong lineup. Um, they're obviously sourcing the panels, but everything else, it's all built by Panasonic. Um, they're really going for. I think the sweet spot really is the 700. So um, I think definitely even before we get the review samples in, I think if you're looking for a TV at the minute, round about that price point, go and have a look at the 700 series because that seems to be the real sweet spot in uh, in their range. And if it's anything like this, the 680 that we looked at last, I mean, I didn't want to give the 680 back. I thought it was a cracking little TV for. A workhorse TV, you know, not for critical viewing with the lights off and so on, but just as a living room workhorse, you know, using it for watching uh, general stuff that you would watch, like car, a lot of car stuff that I'm watching at the minute. Um, I'm really sad that Fast and Loud is finished, Ed. Yes, it's a bit of a shame, although Misfit Garage kicks off imminently. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not really into Misfit Garage, although overhauling's uh, are better this, this time around. They've got rid of the silly uh, setups and all the rest of it and concentrating on the American muscle cars, which I know you like, Ed. Well, you know, it's all, all, all quite... Yeah, I mean, I don't know, actually, at the moment, I'm not too too bothered, but I've got quite a lot of television on there, Crash Investigation still... Oh, that's still on, yeah, nicely. yeah, it's, it's been really good this season. I wasn't so blown away by this UN one thing, you know, trying to sort of drum up the conspiracy bit, whereas it's just knackered pilots flew into the side of a hill. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the Panasonic TV, so... <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, the the six eighty was was a sweet spot last year. I think the seven hundred is going to be uh, that that TV this year around. Um, so yeah, it's a really strong lineup, and of course we've we've already seen the DX nine or two stonking TV, absolutely stonking TV. Um, it's not perfect. 
it's aimed at a certain area of the market, which is your enthusiast uh, who's going to watch a lot of film stuff on there. Sports stuff still looks good, but there is slight banding when it comes to football, and that is just down to basically how football is is shot and shown and the technology that's being used. They're not really that compatible, and that's the case with any LED LCD TV that has a backlight like that, Steve. Um, yeah, it's true. it's it's inherent with the technology and it's always going to be there. It's just a degree of how bad it is and, and how much you pick up on it. And, I, of course, you know people see things in different ways when it comes to uh, certainly motion. Um, it's one of the hardest bits to get right. I mean, you just have to think back to the plasma reviews and, you know, there's certain things that we didn't see that other people pick up straight away and that's just because how their eyes work. Um, yeah. I was and, interested, I think... Going back to the uh, 50 hertz panel mention, is that a 50 hertz native panel inside these? Because most yes. are obviously, it is. That's interesting. Because yeah. last year, it's up to 650, I think it is, and 700 and above is right. 100 hertz. So I think last year, some of them were using 60 hertz panels internal, um, internally working at. Because I could see problems without AFC on on some of the TVs watching things like sport. I could see a slight stutter to it. So it's interesting that they've gone to native 50 hertz panels. That's good. Yeah, what, what that basically reflects, I think, is that you know they really are making um, these TVs for the European market now. It's not yeah. a, a global thing or a thing where it's the US and Japan anymore. It's much more, we're a big market for them, other than Japan. Very, very big, big, big market. We, we happen to yeah. be sitting with um, uh, with Jake uh, Hiroso, who was uh, the managing director for Europe, Mashiro Shinada, who is uh, the TV uh, business division head. And they both said... And it surprised me and Steve because we were sitting uh, at, at dinner with them and, and having a, a good laugh and a joke. But when we got on to the t- subject of TVs, and, we were really surprised that the UK is such a big market for them. And an influential market when it comes to the enthusiast side and, and performance. You know, they have to hit certain performance levels to keep the consumer happy in this country. Yeah. I was quite and surprised they, with that. I mean, you mentioned earlier, Phil, about them responding to feedback. And, and we mentioned things like changing the stands. Um, more competitive price points. One of the other big changes, of course, initially they had IPS panels in most of their range initially. They changed that to almost entirely VA panels because of feedback, and that was specifically for the UK market. And the other great thing is with the DX902, when I did the initial review, and that was one of the first um, units off the production line, um, it was a bit high on the input lag, 68 milliseconds. They immediately addressed that when we got to the uh, convention. Um, I took my lag tester along with me. Um, they had a 65 and a 58-inch model for me to test, and they had got it down. So it's 35 milliseconds for 58 inches and 38 milliseconds for 65-inch, which, um, again, is excellent on their part. They're you know they're um, you know, responding to feedback in a positive way and trying to make the best TVs possible. And I think that just made what was already a great TV, in my opinion, even better. Yeah, and, of course, you've got to look at the marketplace, and, you know, if they if – if they want to keep the TV division going, they have to make product that people want to buy. And if there are issues like that, then they have to look. If it's an inherent issue with the technology, there's not a lot that it can do, really. So when you're talking about banding and stuff like that, that is an inherent issue with, with the technology. There's not a hell of a lot that yeah, you can viewing do. Viewing angles as well. Viewing angles as well. But you know, it's it's interesting to see that the UK market is um, such, a, such a strong market for a company like Panasonic. And the thing is that the rest of Europe some of their 700 models are IPS panels, but that just wouldn't wash in the UK. So mm-hmm. that's why there are differences. That's why um, there was a mistake on the, the UK website, which had, I think, all the 700s as IPS. No, that's Europe, <laughs> not the yeah. UK. The UK is VA, absolutely 100% VA. Um, so that shows you the difference, even between you know Germany and the UK. The consumer wants different things. Um, so it's interesting, yeah, and it was a really good show. And I guess... We haven't really mentioned it up till now, but the UB900 was there. 
um, proper working models now because obviously we're really close to launch date. It's going to be second week in April, third week in April, 599, yep. which is a little on the steep side if you look at it initially, but actually you're getting a hell of a lot of tech in the box for that, especially the analog audio side as well, which, um, uh, you know, good quality DACs and that kind of thing in there. Um, so they're obviously going for the higher end, whereas Samsung, well, we thought Samsung we were coming at about 350, but it looks like it's going to be closer to 400, if not 450, uh, when it finally comes to market. So they are a little bit toppy, but I've got to say, fantastically built unit, looks yeah, really nice, yeah. well put together, um, and image quality as well. They had two screens uh, up side by side, so they had an SDR screen, which was last year's or the year before it was a 902 when when was that was that last year or was it the year before i think the, the year AX 902 this the ax 902 that yeah. was two that years was ago year before, yeah. yeah um so they had the the 902 um setup showing sdr material um from a blu-ray player so there was nine going on there to fudge it in any way it was set up properly it was um using the the professional one mode which is up quite accurate out of the box it's an ips panel um the one next to it was the dx 902 showing HDR content. Now, there are going to be differences in brightness because that's the way the HDR works and so on. Uh, but really interesting to see it's Mad Max. Um, the quality was fantastic. Really can't wait to get this stuff home um, and actually start using it in the home and, and start playing around with it and playing around with different settings and, and you know the stuff that us enthusiasts and reviewers do. Uh, when we get new kit, is, other than taking it to bits, we, uh, we push it and it'll be interesting to see how well that stands up. Yeah, uh, I'm just um, on another subject. No mention of a new OLED at all. There was no secret areas. This, this, uh, well, the February convention is always the first half of the year, so it's always Q1, Q2, uh, a bit of Q3, because you got IFA, which is yeah, September. True. If I was a betting man, having seen what Philips' plans are for IFA in terms of a 55 flat OLED, I think, you know, if you were a betting man, I'd put reasonable odds on Panasonic having something similar. And it'll be flat. They pretty much yeah, dipped the curve, I, haven't they? Yeah, I would definitely think because of the supplier uh, mm-hmm. of the panel. The supplier. I, I think the um, the the good money, the 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 even odds would be on Panasonic doing a fifty-five flat at least, the same as Philips. Yeah, let's hope so. That would be good. Yeah, don't get too discouraged because it wasn't mentioned on the February uh, at the February convention because that's always the start of the year and it's always the main launch. That thing was they were late last year coming to market. Uh, with a lot of their TVs, it was summer before um, a lot of the models hit. This time around, this month, so March, a lot of the it's models been, are going to be. It's been a real March. race this year, isn't it? Because everyone wants to get out early, and it seems Panasonic have won this race. But Sony are obviously up in their game with getting things out. Philips the same, Panasonic have uh, have done the same. So you know, yeah, it's, and, it's and quite interesting to be that, that race to be first. Yeah, and it helps me as the editor of a site because I'm not struggling for content. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> there should be plenty of TVs out there for us to review and. Uh, like we say, strong lineup from Panasonic. So that wraps up the hardware side of things. We're going to move to movie reviews next. Okay, Steve, uh, what's at the cinema? At the cinema this week, we have London is Falling, which is the sequel to the surprisingly popular Olympus has Fallen, one of two films that came out that year about um, terrorists taking over the White House. This was the the London Olympus has fallen was a more hard edged, more violent version, the R rated version, and um, it did very well. So clearly, a sequel came along. Not the most original title, I've got to say. London has fallen, but basically the premise is exactly the same. There's a big meeting of um, heads of state in London. A bunch of terrorists turn up, blow up most of London. 
kill a bunch of um, leaders and then the American president's on the run with um, uh, Gerald Butler's character, his Secret Service agent, <laughs> helping him out, protecting him and killing loads and loads the, of um, what, terrorists. What, what they should have done is call it London Bridge has fallen down. That'd yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Kaz has already reviewed it. I mean, he, and he likes action films and even he was disappointed and he was a fan of the original. Um, he said it's just too generic. Uh, and the, the, the terrorists, the villains, basically, you kind of sympathise more with them than you do with the people that they're killing. Yeah, never... that, I think what he was complaining about was the whole setup to it. Whereas yeah. Olympus has fallen, you, you kind of just got thrown into it. Yeah. Um, straight away, you know, you didn't really know why things were happening. You, and kind of like the characters, you were thrown right into it and had to try and work out what was going on. And it was okay from that point of view as an actioner. Um, it, it was quite good. It was nice but, to see them make a hard R-rated action film because that's quite rare these days. They seem to be... Um, yeah, but it, yeah, but every shot was a headshot. Headshot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, he was a good shot, wasn't he? he was, more headshots than there are in The Walking and, Dead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, standing on a, on a firing range, making headshots is nice and easy, but when you've got targets that are move, constantly moving... To pick them off with a headshot and everywhere, it's impossible. You just you can't it doesn't matter how good you are with a gun, you just cannot do that. So that kinda of, that kinda of fell down a little bit. Uh the other one, Hail Caesar. Yeah, Hail Caesar, there's a new film from the Kern Brothers, uh, which is about um a studio fixer, so, uh, based upon a real guy actually, who whose job basically was to um fix problems at the studio, either, you know, hushing up scandals or um, you know, possibly getting rid of dead bodies, all this kind of stuff. Basically making sure the stars stay in line, that the starlets are behaving themselves, this kind of stuff. And that's his job. And it's a comedy about him him and him trying to basically they're making a film called Hail Caesar, a big, you know, biblical epic. And he's trying to keep the lead lead star, which is play, played by George Clooney in, in line, plus also dealing with all the younger starlets. And, and it, 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 I'm gonna actually gonna see it um the weekend and it looks really, really good fun. Um, um I think when the Cohen brothers being genuinely funny rather than being arch and knowing, um, they're really good. Um, some of the more recent films I've struggled with because I just think, that, are they laughing at me or with me here? Um, whereas this is like, it's just going to be good out and out right of a laugh. So um, Generally, Steve, as a, as a rule of thumb, everyone's laughing at you, mate. Just <laughs> just eliminate the uncertainty. Go with that. But uh, It's got a great cast and looks like it'll be great fun. So I think, um, you know, of my recommendation of the two, Hail Caesar. Okay, and uh, films opening this Friday, the 11th? This Friday, we've got quite a lot opening, actually. We've got Legiant, which is the third part of the Divergent, or as Laura likes to call it, Detergent series. Does anyone uh, still care? I've, no, I don't know. Uh, Who's I mean, watching this? Sorry, I'm, I'm unnecessarily <laughs> animated. teenage girls. But, yeah, uh, first of all, they've done the usual thing, taken the last book, which is called Allegiant, and they turned it into two films. So the first film's called Allegiant, and I can't even remember what the second one's going to be called. But, yeah, they're, they're, they're milking it for all they can. Um, that's coming out... There's also Kung Fu Panda 3. Um, so I guess if you've seen Kung Fu Panda or Kung Fu Panda 2, you'll know what to expect there. There's Animalisa, which is um, a stop-motion animated film by Charlie Kaufman, the guy that wrote Being John Malkovich, um, which I think looks really interesting, although it, knowing Kaufman, it would be quite, quite strange. Uh, and there's also The Witch, which is a low-budget horror film set in... Um, All right, so these are two different films. I'm looking at the running order thinking it was Animalisa and The Witch. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Animalisa is one film, and The Witch is another film. Obviously, um, a witch um, set um, in the British colonies in America um, in the early days when they first colonised the, the US mainland, and um, apparently very scary. Uh, I have seen the trailer; it's quite good. It looks very interesting. So, of those, I would personally pick probably The Witch. I'm curious about Animalisa, but I might just pick that one disc. 
Um, Kung Fu Panda 3, I'm not so bothered about. I'm going to make Laura go and see Allegiant. <laughs> they could review it because there's four films and I've only got three reviewers. I'm sure Kirsty will go and see something over the weekend, so you can look forward to a one-word summary of something next week. One-word savaging. <laughs> okay, and um, Blu-rays, what can we buy? We can buy The Last Witch Hunter. Do we, they do use we, the word can, Do we want should. to buy it? <laughs> well, ah, ah, well, I'm not going to buy it on Blu-ray because I'm going to buy the Ultra HD Blu-ray when that comes out. It's already come out, actually, in the States. But, Why? Uh, Yes. Okay. Um, Vin Diesel, as um, as a name, name might suggest, a witch hunter. Uh, oh, it looks like it might be quite a good laugh, actually. At least it's um, it'll probably be an interesting looking disc, and it's so yeah. I'm going to get that on. on old so, so really, what 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 we're saying now is because it's a new format, you're going to buy utter Any old shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usual thing. <laughs> End up with piles of stuff that I can't stand that I've only bought because it's in that. Uh, thing is, now, I... you've been there too. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Um, but the thing is, uh, are you going to go and buy... Oh, what was the film that you've bought in every format so far? Terminator 2, are you going to buy Terminator 2? Oh, yeah, it's a given. Yeah, absolutely yeah. good. And what was the one that you've bought in every format and never watched? Oh, well, that, well I did watch it eventually, it. but it was why I turned it. fourth format, I think, before I finally got around to seeing it. <laughs> and then it didn't work. Um, yeah, Last Witch Hunter. I, I, it looks like it might be quite a good laugh, actually. Um, I'm not... Even though I love the Fast and Furious movies, I'm not personally a big fan of Vin Diesel. I find him to be slightly uncharismatic. But um... I don't know. He's an uncharismatic actor. Have you ever seen him talking about Dungeons and Dragons, of which he is a <laughs> tremendous fan? He's so. It just, in many ways, it's wonderful. He is just childly, childlike enthusiasm for it as a concept. It's 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 wonderful to watch. So he went I up. Can't imagine Vin thing. Diesel playing Dungeons and Dragons in his. You can't, but he's a massive nerd. A massive nerd, and was you know, and it's not a- a- affected or put on to sort of appeal to a different demographic. He genuinely is just very geeky, and but, I think that's just wonderful. But how can you like the Fast and the Furious films um, and not like Vin Diesel because he's the main dude, is he not? Uh, well, you see, where they really went up in gear was when The Rock joined us. <laughs> now, we That's were discussing this the other day, right? He is the worst rescue pilot ever in yeah, San Andreas yeah. <laughs> because all he does all he does is uh, save really pretty young teenage girls from car crashes and his own family, everybody else, to hell with you. How selfish is that? It is a strangely enjoyable movie, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's, it, I've got to say, I did enjoy it. Um, did you mention the other three discs with them? Um, no, we didn't mention. Yeah, you can get a freebie. You only need to spend six hundred quid on a player when you get two discs. If you buy six, buy the UB nine hundred, you do get Mad Max Fury Road and San Andreas on an Ultra HD Blu-ray along with the player. So that's a bargain. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 they do come with the Blu-ray versions in the same box, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, and well, digital HD. I mean, that's fifty quid worth of disc. So you know, you could say you're paying five hundred and fifty for the player. <laughs> Yeah, but you know he's he's a he's a terrible rescue pilot. I don't know how he got hired. And the other thing was, I, I didn't understand right when you first see him, he's got a whole crew in the helicopter. Next time you see him, he's out cruising on his own in a helicopter. Yeah. Yeah, how does that work? Government property. Yeah, and he crashes it. And Maybe it's like with um, Sky. You know, if you're a Sky installer, you can use the van on your own time as long as you log the mileage, which is why you always see Sky vans out on like Saturday and Sunday. I don't know. Maybe rescue helicopter pilots get the same. Same basic thing, just to note the miles <laughs> down in a logbook. Yeah, but the only, then, but the yeah, only save, pay, pay it out of his taxes. Yeah, but the only save family members are pretty young things. Yeah. Well, you know, well, no one's perfect. California disappears into the sea. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a good soundtrack, though, isn't it? 
a hell of a lot of pace in that. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a CGI fest, and they obviously didn't have a lot of time to finish a lot of the CGI. I mean, that boat on the water just looks so fake. Some of the effects look good. Some of them are a bit ropey. Yeah. <laughs> and and the whole oh, we need to get over the tsunami before it comes in. <laughs> but yeah, oh, that's ridiculous. But but I will say that the scene where his daughter's trapped in a limo and the car park, the underground car park, is collapsing and crushing the car. That's a fantastic Atmos demo sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All these yeah. noises all above you and around you, and it puts you right inside that car. So if you're looking for a Atmos demo scene. I highly recommend that. The, scene. the only disappointment was that was the stupid English boyfriend, or one of the boyfriends. Oh boyfriend yeah, his terrible. Hey, we should look on the bright side that we we weren't we weren't the villain for once. Admittedly, it's hard to be the villain in a film about a geographical fault line, but nonetheless, I think that represents a, a graduation for for British society that we were merely inept rather than actively evil. And if if now that Spectre's out and if people have got the, the Blu-ray and are disappointed, and this was Steve's advice and I did it yesterday, watch The Honest Trailer by Screen Junkies on YouTube. They absolutely nail it. They nail it, don't they? Yeah, totally. and, and if you haven't bought Spectre, go and watch that because there's no need to then watch the film because they absolutely nail it. They do. It's such a disappointment. You it know, Sky, Skyfall wasn't... got to buying Sky, it yet. You know, Skyfall wasn't a great oh, film. <laughs> I don't know, it's one of your two demo discs, isn't it? <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need discs anymore. He's ripped it to his uh, hard drive. Where we're going, we don't need discs. <laughs> I mean, Sky, Skyfall wasn't really a, that strong a film, but it was beautifully shot. It was it was proper gritty Bond, and um, it had its flaws and all the rest of it, but it, it was a Bond film, and... You look at Spectre and you think, apart from the opening, which is absolutely, apart from the colour grading, which was too obvious, you know, do it and, and that way it was just over the top obvious. But the soundtrack's fantastic. That bass drum is unbelievably good. Um, and it's a real cliffhanger of an opener. And then, like it says on Screen Junkies, it just stops. Nothing else happens. I mean, that car chase. Sorry if it's spoiling this for, for worst you car people, but ever. worst car chase ever. I'm going to be comic book guy. <laughs> Worst car chase ever. To waste that Aston Martin as well on five minutes of screen time where there's no jeopardy, there's no sense of urgency at all, is there? No, it's, especially oh. coming off the back of the of the bike car chase in um, Mission Impossible, which is really, really good. Oh, with the, with the really M4, exciting. the BMW M4. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. That's fantastic, really exciting. <laughs> I, I cried. I cried when they ruined that car. <laughs> when they flip it down the. <laughs> I've got to be honest though. I I watched. It was on on one of the Sky films. I watched the original French Connection the other day, and everything, almost every car chase film this century, just comes across as fundamentally sterile. No, the the what was oh, what was what was the one? Um, there was one a few years ago. It's set in France. Oh, you mean Ronin? Ronin. Yeah, that's the car, that wasn't the uh, wasn't century that? though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you yeah. what, the, the one in the French Connection is 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 so visceral because it was largely done for real. Then they just yes. drive half over down the street, and at one point a car pulls out, and that's not a stunt car. That was someone who'd got past their people blocking the road. Yeah. They had no permission to do that that chase, and Freakin's basically a nutter, and they just drove half down that road. I mean, it's <laughs> it's insane. It's just fabulous. Um, but very little gets close to that for me. 
Um, There's a film coming out on Blu-ray, actually, I think in a couple of weeks' time, called The Seven Ups, which I've mentioned before. The Seven Ups has got, I think, a really great car chase in it, although um, John Best, who knows an awful lot more about cars than I do, did moan about the sound of the engines. However, I do think it's like a 15-minute long, really great car chase. Not a great film. but Whoever won their uh, copies of Bullet on the AV Forums competition, presumably they've enjoyed the car chase in that film. And um, uh, anyone that can still recant the plot to me without watching the (laughs) film again uh, from memory, do get in touch. Uh, because uh, it appears to be uh, beyond every other human being on Earth. So, all good. I think they need to get a new Bond in now. I think uh, I think Daniel Craig was phoning it in, wasn't he, Inspector? Yeah, well, um, it got cut from another podcast, but I think uh, the suggestion of um, Danny Dyer. <laughs> <laughs> or Jason Statham. It's time for a bald Bond. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. Um, isn't Tom Who, Tom da- who Danny Dyer? <laughs> no, they don't. The state. Bluefell, you fucking uh, You know, I interviewed. Him, I interviewed him on the podcast. Um, Danny Dyer. Danny Dyer. It was probably about six years ago now, maybe even longer than that. It was the one where he was in with Gillian Anderson, the film that he was in, the thriller. Oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but there's a scene where he 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 obviously has to pleasure himself. <laughs> and I'm interviewing him, and he's talking about this scene, and. Um, I think the bleep machine was about to break. <laughs> Who did you say? Statham. He's a bit played, though, is he not? He's done... I don't know. Maybe you could actually just reinvent the whole... Um, that You could have just lots of Cockney double O's. You know, send them out as a team, like, like the Expendables. Well, you see, all you have to think about is Kingsman. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. You know what I mean? And that was done really well. I mean, I was surprised at how much I actually really enjoyed that film. Well, is is that our way of saying, actually, it's time for a a camp Roger Moore villain in a a space station-style Bond? But you see, they tried to do that that inspector, and the thing was, it just didn't work. There was no menace about him whatsoever. Um, It it was played so... It was so underplayed... And then the whole thing about, sorry, this is serious spoiler, so if you don't want to know the end of the film, skip forward a, a minute or so. But, um, you know, he hired some pretty useless pilots who could only fly down the same, the, the, the Thames. They couldn't take the helicopter any higher and fly over the buildings or anything. So they flew down the Thames, giving them every opportunity. Another thing was, everything was signposted at the end. Literally. Literally signposted. No. Well, there you go. And, and, and watch terms Kingsman. Of, Just enjoy that. Yeah, instead. I mean, Kingsman yeah, is absolutely fun. brilliant. I mean, the only thing is um, Samuel L. Jackson's accent's a bit, you know, yeah, and then, like they said in the, again in the honest trailer, do you think the director was just too scared to tell him it was it was a crap <laughs> idea? idea. <laughs> well, it was him, isn't it? Him taking the piss out of Spike Lee. Was it? Really? I thought that really? was, I thought that I was the Spike Lee story. Actually, no, I, I, no, Spike Lee hasn't got a lisp. He hasn't got a lisp, has he? No, not no. do the right thing. No, he hasn't got a lisp. But, uh, that uh, was that was only strange. That, that was the only strange thing about it. But really enjoyable film, and I think it, I like it when um, when uh, Michael Caine's um, is dying and he's suddenly after being posh the whole time, and suddenly he goes all Cockney right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, I mean it was it was played for laughs. It was it was very annoying. There was lots of Bond references in there. I mean it was just re- I wasn't expecting it to be any good. I thought well, I'll give it a go, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Bond's just a bit. You see, I'd like to see Idris Elba, but like we were saying a few weeks ago, age-wise, he's probably the same as Daniel Craig. So makes no yeah, difference. Yeah, just a little bit too old. I, don't, I definitely don't want to see Daniel Craig again. I, I, I'm 
brought to tears of him, and he clearly is brought to tears of doing it. Um, so get somebody else. And I think the bookie's favourite is Tom Hardy. Um, I'm not a big Tom Hardy fan either, but uh, at least he's a bit younger. Jeremy and, Clarkson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. As I say, um, there are there are some options, there, but they ju- they have to think in the context of getting three films out of, out of whoever they choose, which means realistically 34, 35 year old. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and working on that principle. So, does it need to be a male? I I didn't at no point did I in infer infer gender. No, they just need to be able to do a, a relative number of films. I mean, over. It, I, I think it's it, it's a pertinent point to bring out because we're going to have an all female Ghostbusters very soon. Do we do we go with a female Bond, a strong female character? Is there an audience for it? I don't. Want I don't know. Does boys. does Jemima Bond have quite the same? It, it, it presumably bo- you have to start their first na- name with a J. It's a bit limited. It's, a, it's a sad indictment of our society that she'd be classed as a bit of a slapper for going around sleeping with loads of blokes. So, actually, do you know what? I think um, if one of the virtues of uh, Daniel Craig uh, is that they have actually dropped down the, the quotient of just random. Yeah, they've dropped down the quotient, but they've made them way creepier. I mean, uh, well, um, okay, but it's a start. But you could you could get away with it. In honest, in honest trailers, they point out that he, you know, he cops off with Monica Bellucci the day of her husband's funeral. Which oh, I don't know. That's they're they're, they're most <laughs> after breaking into our home. After breaking into her home, he, in in Skyfall, he turns up in a girl's shower uninvited, and then she gets shot just afterwards for, for copping off with Bond. It's I don't know. I've always I either just you know play it for laughs or don't do it at all. Um, look at the Timothy Dalton films if you want to see how to play Bond seriously. Um, I think he, they did a better job back in the late 80s doing that than they have done recently with uh, Daniel Craig. Although, having said all that, Casino Royale is fantastic. Yeah, see, this was, this was the other problem with Spectre, is that you know for the last few films, um, it has been hard-edged, gritty, realistic, a vulnerability to him. Um, you know, he, he, he could not make the mission, end of the mission and so on. And then they the completely turn that on its head for Spectre, where, where you're back to Roger Moore playing it for last, but it really we're not, not, not that funny. And like you say, a bit creepy in some places as well. Well, there you I go. Know, if you are making the next James Bond film, and uh, you were listening to this, so if you're available, Barbara Broccoli, available for consultancy work for a very reasonable fee. <laughs> no, Ed, I could see you in the Q role. <laughs> Pay attention, 007. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Except, like, actually, I only understand certain gadgets. Only if only if Bond needs a Walkman. Otherwise, <laughs> no. otherwise, trying to explain it, it's like, yeah, just just pull that. And no, actually, no, no, if you no see Bond. Impossible Rogue Nation. I haven't. No, because at the beginning, you know, they do the thing where they, they give you the mission and it's all self-destructed in five seconds. Well, it's a, a technics turntable. He has to scan his hand, and then it, <laughs> the record plays and and it, it projects a hologram up. Splendid. Uh, I, I didn't see the one at Bristol doing any of that. I'm uh, I was, was going to say that you'd understand why it was four grand if it did. Yeah. That. Do you know what? I, I, um, <laughs> although we all know that the first releases in hollow vinyl would be uh, Dark Side of the Moon and Brothers in Arms <laughs> again. <laughs> oh. And on that bombshell, that's all we got time for this week on the AV Forums podcast. My thanks to Steve with us. Where's his scrotum, Mark? <laughs> My- <laughs> Mark Hodgkinson. This show's bullshit. Formix and Grandma Moses. And Ed Selly. Yes, and also because you're an arsehole. Uh, don't... <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> going out on a lovely night. <laughs> Every one of you chose one with swear. Uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark every forum, so let's reviews, news and video. And of course, leave us five stars on iTunes and we'll read your name out in the podcast towards the end of the month. I'm Phil Hinton. Sorry. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you are Phil Hinton, don't worry. Saves my wife. Shandy on the third. I just had to double check that point. <laughs> Did you stick a question mark in there with <laughs> <laughs> I just suddenly ran out of breath when I said that. Uh, anyway, I'm feeling. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next Wednesday.